0: alternative perspectives, and genuine collaboration. Women's History Month is a celebration of women's contributions to history, culture, and society. ROG is dedicating March to women's history and the essential role that women play worldwide. Our special guest today is Debbie Epstein Henry. She's an expert, bestselling author, public speaker, consultant, and podcast host on Careers, Workplace Dynamics, Women, and Law. Debbie is the new president of the Forum of Executive Women in Philadelphia, where I am a member. Of the many things that I appreciate about you, Debbie, it's your humility. You are extremely accomplished and successful on so many levels and still model so incredibly curiosity and grace. Welcome to ROG, Debbie.
1: Oh, thank you so much, Shannon, for that generous introduction. And I do have to say how fitting the name of this podcast, because you indeed are so generous, just starting with the invitation you extended to me to be your guest, but also in this beautiful gratitude journal that I received in advance of this interview and and just all of the generosity that you exude. So thanks to you, Shannon. Oh, thank you. And I love that you actually use the word
0: generosity and generous in a lot of the interviews that I've had the opportunity to listen to that you've conducted. So I really think that we are kindred spirits and we, we have very similar lines of thinking and how to be a contributor and how to use our talents and gifts for the benefit of others and the world, so give us a little bit of your background, Debbie. Where 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 were
1: you born and raised, and tell us how you a little bit about how you got here today? Sure. So I was raised in the suburbs of New York and graduated college and moved back to New York City, and then transplanted to Philadelphia when my husband got a job there um, in the late 1990s, and we lived there actually for 23 years, and then recently returned to New York in the outskirts of the city um, after raising our three sons in the Philadelphia suburbs. And I would say something that's really specific to who I am is I've been an athlete my whole life, and my father started running with me when I was four years old on the beach, and it really informed so much of who I've been as a person. And I think in honor of Women's History Month, I think we think a lot about qualities of women and leadership. And for me, I think any leadership or any success I've ever had has really derived from being an athlete and learning how to compete and learning how to be on a team and lead and lose and really pour your heart into perseverance that is required of any athlete. Absolutely. Thank you so much for
0: that. And I think it's an important thing to acknowledge, like what are some of our early childhood experiences that have helped to shape us and understand the world and how we conduct ourselves and our talents? Um, and I know that this is a, a very uncommonly known fact about you, Debbie, but the fifth grade was a big deal for you. Can you tell us a little bit about fifth grade? <laughs> <laughs>
1: Sure, You know, it was a great year for me because I was, you know, fifth grade, you were the oldest in the elementary school. I had this wonderful gym teacher, actually, Coach Salvatera, and he taught me how to juggle. And I later, when I stopped practicing law, I became a public speaker. And the area that I started in was work-life balance. So it was always an interesting imagery that back in fifth grade, I was learning to juggle balls in the air. But I also won the elementary school hula hoop competition. And I, I remember proudly standing on the this, this stage at Fox Meadow Elementary School and Hula hooping. And I, I always used to blush. I'm fair skinned and I always used to blush. And I remember I was bright red, but I still was super proud being on that stage. So those are some fun images um, and and recollections for me for for fifth grade. Oh yeah. so fun. And congratulations on that. <laughs> you know, it's fun <laughs> to see like when
0: you can focus on something, whatever it is, and to achieve that kind of recognition, I think it's an important thing for us to say, you know, this is something I can do, be it unusual or more common. It's it's something that I think is a parallel to all working people. In particular, I'm thinking of working women. And when you talked about juggling and just the amount of responsibilities that women so often juggle seamlessly uh, I think it's a great opportunity for us to celebrate that and to learn a little bit more about what you've learned, because like you said, you practice law and then you saw a need for women to have a more, to have more generosity in their workplaces. I actually like the, you, you very often use a term called hospitable work environments. Yes. And I think that's something that we can delve into a little deeper. So what do you mean when you think about hospitable working environments?
1: So I was practicing law in the late 90s and I was actually really unhappy. I was trying to play an integral role in my kids' lives, but also be on a partnership track at my law firm. And what I found at that time and then as a consultant in the legal industry and other industries since is there always was this tension about, you know, if you had shown an interest and commitment to your personal life, You were in some way not committed in your professional life. And I felt that tension and that conflict was really wrong. And that to me is so much about hospitable workplaces is how to play an integral role in your family life, in your volunteer life, in whatever it is that you do outside of work that brings you meaning and purpose and your professional identity. And why and and how can we ensure that those two areas are not in conflict? And I think in the pandemic, this issue around tension between work and life has become even more acute. And we're all working at our homes and we all have windows into each other's homes and lives in a way that we never had entree in the professional world. And I think... This is the most opportune time to have a more hospitable workplace and to bring more harmony between who we are at home and who we are at work. Mm, so well said. That harmony and the
0: integration, you're saying that it's like a, how do, how do we fit it all in, right? I mean, what, what is the visual you, that you keep in your mind when you think about all of these components of a robust and abundant life?
1: I think of a smile, and I think of you asked before about my fifth grade experience. Funny, in um, years later when I was living in Philadelphia, we were invited to a party, and they happened to have hula hoops. And I hadn't picked up a hula hoop really, probably since around fifth grade. And I picked it up, and I started swirling it around, and I still knew how to do it. And I had this big smile. It was it was really joyful, and. That's the image that I have in my mind is how can we bring more happiness into our daily work lives? And actually, by bringing more happiness and satisfaction into our work, we will elevate engagement and productivity and performance of employees. And particularly in the aftermath of George Floyd's murder, there's been so much more discussion about people bringing their authentic selves and their full selves to work. And I think that's the other aspect here is that it used to be that you couldn't believe that by showing who you were at home, that that was going to in some way impede your success at work. And I think what increasingly the emphasis has been is that having that window into who we are at home is actually going to further make us invested in our workplaces. And we need better alignment between our two lives. And the separation of our home identity and our work identity is really artificial. And we need to get more comfortable about that. And again, by seeing into people's homes in our Zoom calls and otherwise, we are building that trust and having more opportunity to enhance our relationships as a result. Yes.
0: Yes. Enhancing our relationships, bringing our full self, finding that connection between all of these elements of our lives and not separating them. So how can we create environments where we welcome that? And I know you did some work in partnership with Working Mother and then you founded the Best Law Firm for Women initiative where you did a national survey and then you selected the top 50 law firms for women. Uh, what, what were some of the criteria of the organizations who were ranked in that top 50? You've really done
1: your homework. I'm so impressed, Jen, and Thank you. We looked at representation of women at every seniority level. And that was really important because representation, the numbers of women and diverse women at different seniority levels is really the proof of the pudding. You know, are they in the law firm context in the at the equity partner ranks where really the lawyers hold the power? So we looked at representation, but we also importantly looked at policies that were in place at these law firms, as well as usage rates, because the policies, yes, that's great to have policies in the books, but the usage rates, again, were the proof of the pudding. thing. Do people feel comfortable availing themselves of those policies? That's actually an indicator of how hospitable those environments actually are. Then we also saw that other firms that didn't have those policies felt pressure to step up to those standards. So it became a vehicle for change, just as historically in the legal profession, publications would would publish what the annual salary was for different law firms at different tiers. And this became another lever for change. So it was really exciting initiative to share the data, but also move the needle.
0: When we come back, Debbie will share examples of when she has seen generosity in the workplace. Hello, I'm Maria Newell, Assistant Director of College Support at St. Joseph University's Kinney Center for Autism Education and Support. Located in Philadelphia, the Kinney Center has a two-fold mission to educate and train the autism professionals of tomorrow while supporting and serving individuals and families affected by autism today. I'm part of the Aspire College Support Team, helping St. Joseph's University students with autism achieve collegiate success through social and executive functioning support. Learn more about our services by visiting sju.edu k-i-n-n-e-y. And we're back with author, speaker, podcast host, Debbie Epstein-Henry. So what are some of the things that you have identified as generous attributes to a workplace or, you know, generosity at work? When when you think about generosity at work, what what are some things that come to mind?
1: Seeing opportunities for other people when you could conceivably take that Opportunity and you give it to somebody else. So, part of generosity, I think, in work is knowing who is that next high potential, who you want to groom and who you want to provide exposure to, rather than just grabbing it for yourself and having the confidence and the discipline to stand aside. And cultivating that next generation of leaders is one of the most powerful things you can do as a leader yourself. And understanding that actually part of your effectiveness as a leader is building a succession plan, building a legacy. If you have the generosity and the vision to see that next generation of leader and you elect to step aside to give that opportunity to somebody else, it does often come back to benefit you. But you shouldn't be doing it for that purpose. You should be doing it because of that vision about how important it is to cultivate that next generation of leader.
0: Yes, the long game, right? That next generation of leader that who, you know, as I'm reaching up, and I often think about this image of climbing that ladder, right? The proverbial ladder where, you sure. know, one arm is reaching up and then the other arm is reaching down or to the side. You know, who else can I bring with me? So who is someone who has done that for you, Debbie?
1: Well, you were mentioning before that we're both members of the Forum of Executive Women. And somebody who comes immediately to mind to me is Lisa Detweiler. She is my predecessor. She is the former president of the Forum of Executive Women. And she nominated me to join the forum about a decade ago. And I hadn't been in touch with her. We were former colleagues at, our old law firm, but I hadn't been in touch with her for a while. And I, I constantly marvel at her. I'm just saying, how have I been worthy of all of this generosity? And I, I can't answer that question. I still don't know why, but she to me personifies that selfless leader and the type of person who is always looking to create opportunities for other women in particular And she went to an all-women's college, and I think it just is in her nature and in her blood, and it's what she does every day, and I'm overcome by the generosity she's extended to me professionally and, of course, as a friend. What a brilliant example. You're right. Lisa is
0: a tremendous leader and person. And what an awesome celebration when we think about Women's History Month to look around and see the impact that women through their generosity, their humility, their humor, their resourcefulness have had on all of us. Um, And I think that's also a, a good segue to the National Women's History Alliance designates a yearly theme for Women's History Month. And in 2022, the theme is Women Providing Healing, Promoting Hope. What does that say to you, Debbie? Women Providing Healing, Promoting Hope.
1: Well, I think of a personal story that really impacted how I've lived my life, and that is As a 26-year-old newlywed, I was a third year in law school, and I had a crazy health scare. I was with my husband at our favorite diner, and I had a grand mal seizure at our apartment right after leaving that diner. And the emergency room diagnosis was a brain tumor, and five days post-seizure, I underwent brain surgery. And the miraculous diagnosis from that brain surgery was a rare parasite and the surgeon told me, I just need to take some prophylactic antibiotics and I'll be good as new. The reason why I share that story is, first of all, in great appreciation for the medical community. And I think we have all experienced that gratitude for the healthcare profession more than ever over the last years of the pandemic. But also on the question you asked around hope and the theme around healthcare and healing and hope, that really became a very hopeful experience for me because once I realized I had this new lease on life, I really said to myself, I'm not going to waste a day. I'm not going to do what I don't want to do. I'm going to really try to live a meaningful life. And it gave me the courage to leave practicing law and start a public speaking and consulting business and play the integral role in my kids' lives that I always wanted to play and live the life with my husband and family and and friends that I wanted to live. And so this terrifying experience really gave me permission to take the risks in my life that I wanted to take, contribute to the world in a way that I wanted to, that I don't know I w- whether I would have had the confidence to do had I not had that experience. Thank
0: you for sharing that story with us and helping us to see the the beginning and the middle. You know, we don't know what the end of that story is yet because you still have a lot of ways that you aim to contribute to the world. But one of the best quotes that I've seen, and I sent this to my son recently for inspiration is from this renowned author and thought leader. And the quote is, take smart risks. Don't wait for some crazy thing to happen to start living the life you want. Debbie (laughs) Epstein Henry, that's your quote. So you went through this this very challenging life experience, and you've just to do some of that wisdom with us, but what would you say to our listeners who are really not happy with some things in their lives or they know that there's change that they need to make? What encouragement can you offer
1: them? Sure. The notion of taking smart risks, that clause is important, and I'm emphasizing the word smart. I'm not encouraging people to be reckless. Once I decided that I was not happy practicing law And I wanted to make a change. I ran an event that I just sort of organized on the fly, but the response was so significant to this event around work life issues in the law that I knew I was on to something. I didn't know what it was. But for the next three years, I continued to practice law as litigation associate, but I ran monthly events developing a following, developing an expertise and testing out. Do I like public speaking? Is this something that's resonant with me? Do I feel that I'm being received positively by an audience, etc.? The reason why I share that is because I call that really piloting. Once you are in a situation where you're not happy professionally what you're doing, you want to pay a lot of attention to what does interest you and not just What you're doing as a volunteer, what you're engaged in outside of work, but really not just are you good at that, are you interested in it, but is there a market need? Are you the type of person to fill whatever niche it is that you're interested in? Pay attention to what other people seek you out to do. That's enormously valuable because you're then assessing, what am I bringing to this? So being able to buffer the risk by piloting and testing out and and working out kinks can make you launch in your next career in a much more confident and successful way. What wise advice to take smart
0: risks, don't be reckless, Pilot some ideas. Think about how could I leverage some of the strengths, abilities, and thought leadership that I have. Then tweak it and and launch something. But don't 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 just drop everything and and put yourself potentially in a a, a worse situation than you might have been
1: in. Right. And just your point uh, about tweaking it—that's something I really want to underscore. And I'm glad you raised it because. You don't want to just test it out and straddle those worlds and get all this information, but you have to also have the courage to respond to the negative feedback. And as you say, tweak it, adjust, and be informed by that period of time where you are piloting. Don't just receive the information, but respond to it. Yes,
0: indeed. That that two-way communication, which I know you model and really advocate for, Um, And one of the ways that you model offering generous support and wisdom is through your blog and your speaker series and and so many of the things that you do. And something that I read that you wrote, I believe it was a chapter in one of your books, and it was make your ask a give. And you talk about that in networking and in life. So I'd love for you to unpack that a little bit for us, Debbie, is that how do you make your ask a give?
1: Sure. And I really when you when you invited me on this podcast and talked about generosity being the central theme around it I thought immediately of this chapter make your ask a give because I think it's it's really in essence what you should be thinking about as you network at the office outside of the office and as you think of yourself as a professional the idea of make your ask a give is rather than think of yourself as someone with their handout, when you have to make an ask, and we make asks for all different sorts of things. Maybe you're asking for a promotion. Maybe you're looking for more pay. Maybe you're asking a prospective client for his or her business. You can ask for all different sorts of things, and we do that or need to do that to really elevate ourselves in our careers. But rather than see yourself as somebody who has your handout, why don't you instead reframe that? Think of yourself as somebody of value who is contributing. And then what often happens is that ask becomes a give. It becomes a generous act. And importantly, in this theory around make your ask a give, it's not a quid pro quo. If it's a quid pro quo, then it's not going to be working. What instead you're doing is you just have an air of generosity in how you extend yourselves. You put yourself out there. You try to be thoughtful to people. And sometimes it comes back to you and sometimes it doesn't you do it not because you're expecting something in return, but by airing that generosity, often opportunities then come back to you.
0: Yes. So well said. Thank you for sharing that with us, encouraging us, because I think asking is hard. And you give these these 20 tips or 20 aspects of how to make your ask a give. I'll put that in the show notes um, and that Will lead you to some of the thought leadership that Debbie is so generously sharing with us, so I shared one of my favorite quotes that take smart risks. What's another quote or
1: mantra that you live by, Debbie? One of my favorite quotes is Michelle de Montaigne, Every movement reveals us, and why I like that so much is I really think it's true. How you do one thing is how you do everything, and how somebody treats let's say support staff or a a waiter waitress, that is just as reflective of who they are and their integrity, their willingness to be respectful of everyone and anyone. And so I always find that quote to be compelling. And I try to live by it. I try to conduct myself in such a way that if anybody saw me in in any of my venues that they would think hopefully positively of me. And I think we should all try to have a standard in how we conduct ourselves that we treat everyone with respect and with the grace and deserving attention that anyone should get. Absolutely.
0: Oh, that's so important. And how every movement reveals us. Think about that. And for us to, take that into our week ahead, right? How do we analyze or recognize how consistent we are or not, how consistent we are to our core values, to our beliefs, to the identities that we really want to be more transparent about. And I think that's just a a good call to action for us to be mindful. And like you said earlier, that we're not always as self-aware as we think we are. So, How are some of the ways that people can find you, Debbie, and learn more about you and follow your thought leadership? So,
1: Shannon, again, thank you so much for your generosity in asking that question. The best way for people to find me is on my website, debbieepsteinhenry.com. And there's lots of resources that people can download for free videos and articles and book chapters, all that sort of stuff. And also my podcast, Inspiration Loves Company. You can download it wherever you get your podcasts. And so those are the best two ways. And for those of you who are in the greater Philadelphia region, if you're interested in information about the Forum of Executive Women, I just am so proud of the work we're doing there and the amazing members we have, of course, including you, Shannon. So um, big shout out to my colleagues at the Forum of Executive Women.
0: Yes, thank you. And I'll put all of those resources in the show notes. So please check them out and follow Debbie. She's Got extraordinary thought leadership that will really change your life and your career. So invest in that. Debbie, thank you for sharing your experience and your life stories and your encouragement with us. It's been an honor to share this time with you.
1: The honor is all mine. Thank you again, Shannon. ROG
0: Takeaway Tip. How to apply what we've learned to our own work and lives. Debbie effectively shared some keys to success. Number one, create hospitable work environments. Two, take smart risks. And three, make your ask a give. Number one, create hospitable work environments. Policy, inclusion, growth opportunities and sponsorship, pay equity, accommodations, supportive and generous leadership, empathy, flexible work arrangements, and offering opportunities to others. All of the considerations of a hospitable work environment take deliberate effort and generous leadership. So collect feedback, prioritize the improvements, establish metrics, and be relentless in the pursuit of change. That's the only way progress has ever been made. It reminds me of the Margaret Mead quote, Never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens can change the world. Indeed, it's the only thing that ever has. Number two, take smart risks. Debbie underscored smart risks, not reckless. Maybe you've been curious about another career path or a different relationship, places of residency, even hobbies and recreational activities. Do some homework first. Learn about that thing that you're curious about. Ask others who have had similar experiences or who have achieved the thing that you're after. When I started Bridge Between back in 2000, my husband was working for a company that moved us to Pennsylvania. Before we moved, I began some soul searching and asked questions like, what do I wish I had in my leadership roles in corporate America? Of all the places I've worked, what are some of the common issues? I wish I had a trusted thought partner to work things through with to challenge me and hold me accountable. I wish the teams I led or was a part of were productive, compassionate, and trusting. So when it was time to move, I designed a coaching and team development business I learned and continued to learn from world-class leaders and coaches. It was a smart risk. What smart risk does your life need right now? Number three, make your ask a give. As we learned in episode 22 with Wayne Baker, givers need askers. Most people want to give, and most of us don't want to give unsolicited help. So, How can you make it easy for the giver? What can you share in advance to give the person offering assistance, the context? information and resources that they need to help you. When you get advice or coaching, follow up with the person and let them know how it goes. That's a gift. They will get the reward of knowing that they made a difference, even if it doesn't work out as planned. And isn't that what all of us want anyway? To make a difference? This week, think about how you can make your workplace more hospitable, one change at a time. Consider what smart risks you need or want to make and what is next in your preparation and make your ask a give. Join us next week as we continue our Women's History Month celebration with Shirley Powell, SVP Communications and Industry Relations for Cox Automotive. Until then, stay generous, everyone. Thanks for listening to ROG, Return on Generosity podcast. Please help us grow by subscribing and reviewing us on your favorite podcast player. And for more information, visit BridgeBetween.com. We grow when we give.
1: We grow when we
0: give. We grow
1: when we give.